You're listening to another episode of Heatwave Radio's Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about movies that just came out, and as you are listening to this, the Oscar nominations for the 94th Academy Awards are out in the wild. Now, they didn't just come out, because they just came out actually as I am recording this and as Pierre and I recorded this episode, but... Um, they are there, and one of the very nice surprises on that list of Oscar nominations was that the movie Nightmare Alley was nominated for Best Picture. This is the latest movie from Guillermo del Toro, starring Bradley Cooper, starring Rooney Mara, starring Willem Dafoe, and, of course, starring the irreplaceable Kate Blanchett. Um, I really like this movie. I'll just spoil that right in advance. And um, this movie does, this episode does get a bit into spoilers. Uh, unlike many episodes where I always want to but never do, I actually did give a spoiler warning in this. So you will hear a spoiler warning when we're about to spoil some major parts of this movie. And you can skip after that to, you can either stop there to not get spoiled for Nightmare Alley, or you can skip ahead several minutes to hear us talk about the Oscars. I don't know exactly where it is after editing, but uh, our talk about the Oscars, I believe, starts at about 45 minutes into the episode. So skip to around there, maybe skip to 46 minutes, just to be safe, to uh, hear us talk about the Oscars, because we do have thoughts, and you'll hear us talk more about the Oscars as this Best Picture series goes on. Anyhow... I personally think that Nightmare Alley has a pretty great trailer. It's actually a trailer that gives away almost nothing of the movie, but it's just, uh, it's got a really cozy feeling. It's got Willem Dafoe saying a bunch of stuff. So I'm gonna just uh, let you guys hear that trailer. Here's the trailer for Nightmare Alley. Step right up and behold one of the unexplained mysteries of the universe. Is he man or beast? This creature has been examined by the foremost scientists and pronounced unequivocally a man. I am prepared to offer you folks one last chance to witness this supreme oddity. did it come from? Begotten by the same lust and threat that got us all walking on this earth, but gone wrong somehow in maternal wombs. Not fit for living. Is it a beast? Or is it a man? <laughs> Because tonight, you will see him feed. Come on in and find out. Is he man or beast? You're listening to another episode of Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about uh, remakes of movies that just came out. The remake just came out, not the movie that just came out. Uh, today, we are going to be continuing our uh, series where we're going to try and talk about all the Best Picture nominees before the Oscars happen. And uh, without getting too far ahead of myself, we've done really well this year. We're going to have episodes on all of the Best Picture nominees by the time the Oscars come out, because we already have episodes on most of the, no most of the nominees, as you're hearing this. Um, but there is one that we have not talked about yet. There's actually four that we have not talked about yet. And the first of those is directed by Oscar darling Guillermo del Toro. And as always, I am here with Guillermo del Toro expert, Pierre. Hello. I like Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> Not that Heck much. Yeah. Actually, I don't, I don't actually think I've seen that many of his films. I'm, I'm curious. Like, what, 
what Guillermo del Toro movies have you seen? Because I'm um, let's 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 compare here. I've seen Pan's Labyrinth, but that was a long time ago. Um, I remember that being amazing though. Uh, even my dad, my dad never likes movies, and he liked that movie. So that's that's a that's a two thumbs up in my books. Um, I've seen Pacific Rim, um, Crimson Peak recently, and The Shape of Water. So you uh, haven't have you seen the other Hellboy movies? I I am familiar with like I've seen parts of Hellboy too. I don't think I've actually seen the whole thing. Like I think mm. I've watched parts of it. Like like sometimes I'll like walk in on someone watching it. Um, but like I don't actually know it. I don't believe. I don't. Yeah. I uh, Hellboy was probably my introduction to Guillermo del Toro, and like Hellboy one and Hellboy two are just two of like the best superhero movies with the caveat that like they are nothing like current, like most superhero movies. They're very different. Um, But yeah, Hellboy one is like a dark conspiracy thriller about, um, you know, it takes place in the modern day, but it's like a Nazi conspiracy thriller. And then Hellboy part two or Hellboy two, the golden army is like, it basically reads like Guillermo del Toro really wants to do a Lord of the Rings movie, which he did at the time. And so he made Hellboy two instead. And like, it's incredible. It is as dark as the first one was. The second one was bright and colorful, but like in a good way, not like, not like overcorrecting for the first one, just a very different experience from the first one. That is like, if that movie never gets a sequel, never gets a third, if that trilogy never gets a third movie, then like it will still be two of like probably these, the most solid um, superhero, two movie superhero series I think I've ever seen. Definitely better than the amazing Spider-Man. Um, yeah. But I think it would be cool if we saw Hellboy 3. Just like, I, I don't think I've ever seen a franchise reboot itself and then have that, that movie flop, and then go for a third movie. I don't believe. Yeah, it it could happen. Like, Spider-Man is in danger of doing that soon, too, potentially. I know there's a lot of, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of fan interest in that, and I know that Sony just wants to do whatever they can to make money off of Spider-Man. So I wouldn't be surprised if that happened, but, clear, but there's obviously no plans at the moment for an amazing Spider-Man 3. Or a Hellboy 3. Or a Hellboy 3. Which is Although Ron Perlman, every time he has the opportunity to say so, Ron Perlman says, I want to do Hellboy 3. Let me do Hellboy 3. Like, probably sometimes be- he'll just bring that up in the middle of interviews without even being prompted. It's crazy. Probably because Hellboy is the only franchise Ron Perlman has a chance of leading again <laughs> in the future. So I don't, I, I can see why he'd be particularly passionate about it. But, um,. Additionally, like, I've also seen, like, a lot of, uh, I don't know if you ever saw it on Netflix, the Troll Hunters series. That was all Guillermo del Toro. Um, oh. No, so he's, he's, got a, he's got a pretty good reputation in animation as well. And more importantly than that, uh, the thing I kind of wanted to say is Guillermo del Toro has, like, a million movies always in the pipeline. And, like, it, it feels like every year Guillermo del Toro has to do a new wave of canceling his projects just as he's like re as he's realigning, you know, what, what can I actually do and what do I want to do? Like for a while he was, um, he was going to be one of the big players in the DC movie universe because he was going to make uh, dark universe, which was going to basically be a swamp thing. John Constantine movie, which would have been incredible coming from Guillermo del Toro but it just never materialized. And then like uh, Hellboy three is obviously something that he wanted to do for a long time, but ended up not happening. He's doing a Pinocchio movie, which I think was also something he wanted to do for a long time, but wasn't happening for a bit. And then finally he got around to it. Um, The guy is, he's got, I mean, he's got an insane brain and like, he's always got so many projects on the go. Uh, you know, more projects than even he can handle. Yeah. Well, I think that's what makes him really, like, fascinating is, uh, like, his his directing brand, if that makes sense. Because it's really cool how he he can come out with these, like, like really, really praised, critically praised, uh, like, beautiful movies. Like, I'd say, like, Pan's Labyrinth and uh, probably Shape of Water 
are definitely like up there as like two like two like two of the most widely praised movies of like the past 20 years i guess Mm -hmm. um and then but then he also is like he had he's very much like a nerd and he'll also you know he's he'll direct blade 2 randomly or like the hellboy hellboy movies uh he, he wanted to do the hobbit so he's like i don't know i like how he's and and pacific i mean pacific rim too i like i think that's just like he's not afraid to be who he is if that makes sense he hasn't got this like chip on his shoulder where he's oh i'm an oscar winning director i i must only direct oscar worthy movies from now on like he's he just wants he just wants to play around yeah and i think like that really plays into his style because his movies he's got we talked last week about like having um like really active directing and having a really distinct style and like Guillermo definitely has a really distinct style like you can always tell when it's a Guillermo del Toro movie but like it's ne- he's able to win awards and get critical acclaim with things that are so weird like Shape of Water is a monster movie um and like there just aren't that many monster movies at that level this right around now i mean it's also much more than that it's also a very personal love story so like it's a lot more than a monster movie but on its surf but on the surface it's like this really weird monster movie featuring a merman and a deaf woman or not is she deaf or is she deaf or is she just uh, mute i think she's mute yeah she's mute she's mute okay um and then like hellboy those movies did really well critically at least for superhero movies and they're also just like these big fantasy epics like uh it's very rare that we get movies that we have directors who can direct these big fantasy movies that aren't like that direct these can direct these big fantasy movies that are also things that just everyone loves i mean peter jackson and him are the only two i can think of i guess denis could do it but denis villeneuve um you know he does do a lot more, I want to say, grounded movies. His movies are weird in different ways than that, typically. Uh, yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree. I'd, I'd say uh, much more grim. I mean, they're both grim directors, I guess, but he's more like uh, depressing grim, where I guess Del Toro's much more like kind of wondrous grim. I don't know, it's like fantastical grim. That's, that's a really good way to put it. It's like, imagine... I don't know, the Harry Potter universe, but also the implications of that. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, anyways, like the I guess his latest his latest movie like Nightmare Alley came out um and uh it was originally going to be starring Leonardo DiCaprio, which I think would have been a pretty crazy get uh especially cuz I guess this would have been one of the I mean Leonardo DiCaprio's only been in two movies since 2015, right? Um, and one of them came out, like, just this year, so this would have been... I mean, I guess they both, both would have come out at the same time. Um, or maybe he turned it down for uh, Don't Look Up. Well, but. so Leonardo DiCaprio... This is actually kind of interesting. I don't know the exact series of events here, but Leonardo DiCaprio was entering negotiations to star in this film. And around the same time but not exactly at the same time. Again, I don't know the exact order of events. Leonardo DiCaprio was also supposed to be uh, having a very small cameo role in uh, Licorice Pizza by Paul Thomas Anderson. Now, I think, now one of those two, one of those two things, I don't know which movie it was, conflicted with the other one. So he had to drop one of those commitments. And then that role went to Bradley Cooper. Uh, And then something else came up, which I think was probably Don't Look Up. And that conflicted with the other one, which went to Bradley Cooper. So Bradley Cooper sniped two Leonardo DiCaprio roles in the same year. Yeah. I mean, and I think I think that's pretty smart because I think if you're even able to snag a role Leonardo DiCaprio was thinking of doing, it must be a pretty damn good role. Well, we've, uh, I think we mentioned this really, really early on Losing It Over Leo. Um, Christian Bale, back in the day, said that, I think he said this in interviews for American Psycho. He was like, if you hear that Leonardo DiCaprio is being considered for a role, 
you pretty much just look for another role because if he's if he wants that role, he's gonna get it. Yeah, I mean, especially now, I think if you want another role, well, you yeah, take it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think this especially helps because Bradley Cooper has been. I mean, ever since what was that movie he did, A Star Is Born? Star Is Born. Uh, he's really been upping his, I guess. Uh, his, I guess he he's put a lot of pressure on himself to be like a. I th- he wants to be one of the greats, I think, and I think he's definitely I, on his way to getting there. I will say uh, we'll talk about it in more in, in more length, but personally, I think that for me, uh, this. Bradley Cooper's performance in this movie was maybe my favorite performance of the year. And we'll, we'll talk about it a lot more later when we actually start talking about the movie. But I think, I think he's getting there like 10 years from now. I definitely think that, I mean, if, if within the next couple of years, we're not already talking about Leonardo DiCaprio and Bradley Cooper in the same breath in 10 years, we will be potentially. Yeah. I mean, he, he definitely is. I'm looking at his filmography now. He's way more selective ever since, uh, like, A Star is Born came out, and then he's only been in uh, Licorice Pizza and Nightmare Alley in, like, actual acting roles since then. Um, I had no idea. Like, he's been involved in producing a lot more. Um, but I, th- I think that's actually pretty interesting because... Uh, and so like literally the only two roles he's done since a star is born are Leonardo DiCaprio potential roles. So that's kind of cool. Um, I wonder if that's on purpose or maybe he's like focusing more on his family or what's going on there, but, uh, that's pretty interesting. Well, I mean, he, as, as you did say, he also does a lot of producing, which I guess isn't an excuse right now because since a star is born, he's only produced, joker and nightmare alley so it's not like he's done a lot of producing since then but like i i'm pretty sure that he is i think he's he's probably got more oscar nominations than leo at this point if you consider the things that he's gotten nominated for as producer oh for sure yeah (laughs) that's a good point um okay maybe not more because i'm looking at this and i think that of the things he's produced um Three of them were nominated. Maybe four of them were nominated for um, for Best Picture. But yeah, Leo does have a lot of nominations. Mm. Um, but yeah, so that's... Uh, I mean, going into this movie, I think Bradley Cooper... Seeing Bradley Cooper was definitely going to be interesting um, after seeing his performance in Licorice Pizza. And... Uh, I know you said you said you really liked him, so I guess that's a that's a pretty good sign going into this. Um, but uh, yeah, before we before we talk about this movie though, before we get really into the weeds, um, this movie did not do very well in theaters, did it? No, not at all. <laughs> it made was it thirty million dollars on a sixty million dollar budget, which is really really bad considering I think you. When you factor uh, in uh, profit for a movie, you have to divide the gross by half because theaters take 50% or 40%, I think. Um, And then you also have to add uh, marketing fees and stuff, which aren't included in budgets. So, Which, for what it's worth, I don't think this movie was marketed very well. That doesn't mean that it wasn't marketed at all. I don't know what those marketing costs would have been, but I'm hopeful that they were... Not that Not much that because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they yeah, this that is really unfortunate. I actually um I actually went to the premiere of this movie in Toronto. Uh it was a simultaneous premiere in Toronto, New York, and uh, I think San Francisco and Los Angeles. Um and when I saw it, I mean the when I saw it, like the line I, it was really hard for me to get a ticket first off. And then once I had my ticket, getting there, the line was like out the door. People were hyped for this movie. And like I definitely got the impression that in general people had liked it. But um I think I was telling you, Pierre, this was the first time that I'd been to a uh movie premiere. So I guess I don't know what to expect, but like it wasn't like at the very end everyone had a, everyone got up out of their seats and had a standing ovation or anything. I don't know if that's normal, but like people weren't visibly excited about the movie after it was over. 
I mean, we all stuck around for the Q and A, and I had gotten the expression, the impression that everyone had liked it, but like maybe not considering what happened next, which is no one went to see it. So yeah, it's definitely. I mean, I don't know if this was because Del Toro's like I want to say a relatively big name now. Like every, I I don't know many people that haven't seen The Shape of Water. Like it was a very widely discussed movie when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that would really put him in the spotlight, and and it did. Uh, and his next movie would be a lot bigger. But yeah, I, like I didn't even know this movie had like a wide release. I thought it was just a very limited release, and that's why I hadn't seen it in theaters or whatever. But um, no, it was it was released. <laughs> it's just no one really talked about it or watched it. Um, I guess we'll talk about maybe why more later. But it it maybe also had like the disadvantage of opening on December 16th, which was the day that Spider-Man opened. So like that's, you know, I guess if, if there's, if you're considering seeing one movie that weekend, there's a good chance it's Spider-Man. Yeah. This is a great option if you're not into superheroes, but the number of people who are into superheroes far outnumbers the number of people who aren't in general. Yeah, especially since this was like an event movie and I feel like, I mean, I saw this movie like three times in theaters. Uh, I saw Spider-Man like three times. So, I mean, like, uh, I, I don't think a lot of the attention was on Nightmare Alley. Same thing with well, mm-hmm. The Matrix came out around the same time too, right? Like there was kind of a lot uh, of bigger About a week later. That came out in December. So, yeah, not a great, I, I feel like this could have been a great December release. Like maybe they were trying to line up I think Shape of Water came out in December too, right? I think so. Yeah. Um, December 1st or December 23rd. Uh, yeah, anyways, it, it's unfortunate. I think, I think, uh, I think Del Toro kind of waited too long maybe for his next movie because it's been about four years. I think this one may have been better as a really early December release, like not a Christmas release. Throw it out on December 1st or something. I think that would have been better. Yeah. But I don't know. In the pre-Spider-Man hype. I don't know. Exactly. Yeah, uh, but I also just think the the movie is very not very much of a uh, cloud, crowd pleaser, in my opinion. Um, yeah, that's fair. It is very... It's very dark, and, like, not in a Joker kind of way. Yeah. Uh, do, do you want to talk about what the movie's about? Oh, I uh, set myself up for that one. Yeah, so... So Nightmare Alley, this is an adaptation of a novel from 1946 by uh, William Lindsay Gresham of the same name. And this is a movie about, um, it's basically about carnies. So Bradley Cooper is a guy named Stan Carlyle. He's Stan Carlyle and he joins a carnival and learns mentalism at this carnival. So mentalism is basically the same as cold reading the idea is that you're like a medium and you can re- read people's mind, but really all you're doing is just being very observant and reading cues. Um, anyway, he, he learns mentalism from these mentalists at the carnival. And once, uh, and he is really good at it. So he uses that to sort of move beyond the carnival and start doing like bigger, um, bigger, like, like dining hall entertainment shows with uh, his wife, um, Molly Cahill, another carny. And um, as he starts doing that, he sort of gets um, embroiled in someone. He, he gets embroiled in like pretending his act is real. So people will come up to him and be like, Hey, are you a real spirit medium? I will pay you big bucks if you can let me talk to my dead son. And he just starts doing that. And he basically like takes this thing, which is essentially a grift. And, and instead of making it just entertainment where, you know, it's not nice to um, basically, you know, read people to, to quote unquote, read people's minds if you can't actually do it. But he takes that and just like fully dives into the grift and becomes basically a con man for extremely rich people. And it doesn't go well completely. That's that's kind of it. Like, there's 
this movie is pretty dense with a lot of stuff. I hope that that was good. I hope that was like a good enough. Um, like it's weird. I'd say it's, I'd say it's dense, but it's also very like not at the same time. Like there were, I, I don't think the movie was paced very well. There, I feel like there was large portions of the movie where just kind of like, what, what is the point? Like, what am I watching? Um, and it didn't feel very uh, focused, which was a, a problem for me. Okay. Like, what do you mean when you say it didn't feel very focused? I guess just like the first, like the circus hop, I was just kind of confused as to where it was going, um, which wasn't really helped because they have like the, there's like a two years later flash, or I guess cut and I think it was like the middle of the movie or was it after the first hour I want to say it was maybe? it was like essentially the first third of the movie and in terms of like time I think it was probably just after what would have been like the third way point but mm. before the halfway point yeah I guess like um for context this is what I was trying to uh, well not what I was trying to but what I didn't really say the first half of this movie takes place in the carnival where he's like meeting the different carnies, uh, learning from them. And like, it's, it's got a big cast of characters. You've got your strong man. You've got your little man. You've got uh, the lady. You, you've got the lady that he later marries who can just withstand an insane amount of electricity. Like it's just a, bu- it's a bunch of carnival acts and he's learning from these carnies. And like, what is it like to be in this car, a part of this carnival? And then the second half is where the movie like, actually gets going it's where he is sort of on his own being a grifter yeah and like i guess that's when the 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 greedy aspect of his character comes in all right no i guess it's set up at the circus thing but um but yeah but i i like I, i'd say the main draws of this movie instead of the rather than like the script because I, I didn't really care much for the script of the story but uh del toro's um, I mean, he's always been very good at set design, um, just general atmosphere, creating the atmosphere. I thought the, 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 like the circus, while, like, obviously it's a circus, so it's supposed to be, like, it was kind of fun and, like, cute, but it was also kind of haunting in a way, um, and he struck a good balance there that uh, I guess is kind of lost in the second half. Like, I, I kind of missed the setting of the circus, actually, like later in the movie, um, because I think it definitely added a lot to it. Um, but anyways, yeah, like I, I'd say like Del Toro. I kind of, this movie reminded me a lot of Crimson Peak, actually. And like I thought the, the characters were like not that greatly done, and I thought the story was a little like long for no reason and felt a little cliche slash unfocused, but like the general atmosphere was like really the main selling point and it helps you buy into it, I guess. Yeah. And I think that like, um, yeah, I guess the, it, it's the set design mostly is very tonally different between the two. Cause yeah, that first, that first seat, that first part of it is exactly what we were talking about. Like it's that, that sort of like, uh, dark in a wondrous way and then in this in the second half it's more like noir thriller and i think it's a really well executed noir but it is very different from that first part in the circus yeah especially when you i I think like they ditched i mean it gives bradley cooper's character a lot more time a lot more focus but i i did really miss some of the side characters i thought ron perlman was interesting even though his character was like a little too straightforward i mean i always and then willem dafoe was there i always love willem dafoe i will not complain Mm -hmm. um and also who else was there the the guy who's the guy that taught him Uh, um david straighthand he was in nomadland yeah oh really yeah he was the other guy in nomadland who wasn't francis mcdormand wasn't a oh so he was a real actor he was the of the two real actors he was the other real actor oh okay cool i didn't i didn't uh, realize that that's cool um, but yeah, the, I think a lot of the side characters on, and then I, I never really felt a lot of chemistry personally between, uh, Rooney Mara and Bradley Cooper. Yeah. I feel like at least to some degree that might've been kind of the point because they, they get together because they're like, 
I don't know. He he's new and exciting to the carnival, basically. And then as they when they move out of the carnival, their relationship is just in a constant decline because they are clearly not very good for each other. So like I think that may have been kind of the point, but it does detract a little bit when, you know, the it does detract a little bit from the relationship elements when it's a relationship that is not only doomed from the start, but not very good from the start. Yeah. So, um, so I guess like it was kind of on purpose, but it's still like when it's, when they're the two like main focus of when they're the main focus of the plot, once the, a lot of the interesting side characters are ditched, then it's a little unfortunate that, um, mm-hmm. that they don't really have that chemistry, but, um, but then, then you, I guess you get the added benefit, like Kate Blanchett comes in. Uh, I don't know. What do you think of her? I think, I think that like, I think Kate Blanchett and Bradley Cooper are fantastic together in this movie, but Kate Blanchett is such a force to be reckoned with here. She is like, she, um, the moment she's on screen, she's such an intimidating presence without being like an outright villain. It's, uh, she's really awesome in this movie. Mm, yeah. Her, I guess her dynamic with Bradley Cooper is, I mean, that's like the, that's a really big part of, I mean, it, it's what the movie is about eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, she, she was pretty good. She was a pretty good get. And also the guy, who's the guy from Shape of Water that comes in? Richard Richard Jenkins. Jenkins. Yeah. I really liked him too. Um, yeah, he was great in this. And I also like, I mean, it might be because I loved him in The Shape of Water. Um, but I thought, I, I really like him in Del Toro apparently because I thought he was really good here as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree for all of those. Um, yeah, I would say that like, um, for me, the, the acting in this movie is just awesome. Like this is, I mean, I can't decide what my favorite Willem Dafoe performance is of last year. There's just too many, but this is like, this, this is up there. It's so good. This is such a good Willem Dafoe performance and he's only in half the movie. Like you really, you really miss him in the second half of the movie, even though he wouldn't have had anything to do, but he's just, but him just not being there really, really makes a difference. Um, Rooney Mara is great except that she doesn't have that much to do and like you said she doesn't actually have that good of chemistry with Bradley Cooper like I think on her own her character is fine it's just that um, you know she doesn't have she's, she just doesn't have that much to do and like she's she's a very lonely character which I think she does very well because her character is essentially very lonely but um she because of that like and the and because the focus of the movie is on Bradley Cooper she's kind of sidelined a lot um but yeah Bradley Cooper and Kate Blanchett are both two huge standouts for this and like i mean spoilers neither one was nominated for an oscar for it but i think that these are easily their best uh each of their best performances this year and like they are two performances that are unforgettable for me anyway yeah, I uh, I mean, we'll talk about it later, but uh, yeah, he doesn't seem like he was, he will be recognized for it that much this year, uh, which is unfortunate. I think like, I mean, like his performance is what it was really required for the movie to kind of work, I guess, because um, you're really getting into the psyche of this man and uh, um, how he becomes a victim of his own success in a weird way. Like it's a very, I guess it's a very classic tale, but I think, given the setting, I think Bradley had to uh, portray it in like a, I don't know, a very, a very specific way, which I think worked. I, I don't even know how to describe it exactly because he he never feels like an extremely confident character, which I feel like is always brought up for like uh, you know these like from rags to riches stories where the 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 success gets to their head, but he never, to me, he never feels like he is on top of things, you know, or he's truly, he's truly confident in himself. He's always on the I think that's really, yeah, that's really integral to his character because it's like, he's not confident in himself at all. He has this veneer of confidence and like he, um, 
he's definitely super cocky and is getting like, and is letting his success get to his head, but he's pretty easily taken advantage of. And also like he's, um, he's got a lot of lingering trauma that like is super easy to exploit. And I mean, that's part of the dynamic with Kate Blanchett's character is he's trying like he's he's the ultimate grifter. He like sees everything as a grift and he's like, I can take advantage of literally anyone if I want to, because I'm good at it. But then Kate Blanchett is kind of him, but in a different profession and is as good as taking at taking advantage of people, if not better. And so like their dynamic is, you know, who's going to be, who, who's going to be the one who gets grifted in the end? Like which they're, they're constantly like, I say Kate Blanchett isn't a villain, but like their rivalry is at the core of this whole movie. Yeah. And um, yeah, they're both able to match each other. Like they're both very intimidating when they need to be. And I think that that's like super important for this movie that they're both big characters. Yeah, I just, I guess I wish that um, her character kind of receives more, because it, it seems kind of antithetical, I think is the right word, to like the theme, like the theme of the story is is that doing this shit is stupid because it's only going to like turn on you in the end, right? Like trying to manipulate people or whatever um, mm-hmm. emotionally. But then like, when you pit them both against each other and one of them wins, it's hard for that theme to really stick. If that makes sense. Well, I don't think that the theme of this movie is that taking advantage of people is bad. Like, I think that's pretty clear from the movie, but I don't think that that's the main theme of it. Mm. Okay. What would you say? I mean, I guess like, yeah, I mean, if I had to reduce it down to one sentence, it would be like, you know, power corrupts. Because that's exactly what it is, is. All of these people let um, this horrible shit they'd done in their past sort of get to their heads. And like, this is a really, this is actually like a really hopeless movie because I think that a part of it, like a part of, um, okay, this is my, I'm, I'm going to say right here, this is a spoiler warning because it, I'm about to spoil like, pretty much the ending of the movie like this character bradley cooper's character he has like this riotous success and uh he does really well in his uh you know he he kind of like he does well enough that he lets it all go to his head and then not only does it turn on him in the end he sort of ends up like if he starts if he starts at zero he goes all the way up to a hundred and he comes back to about negative two it's not like he's completely starting back from the beginning, but he sort of like ends up in the worst po- in, in the worst position he can without being like without being like it's it's weird because at the very end, so in the very beginning of this movie, now I'm now I'm gonna spoil it. At the very beginning of this movie, they introduce the idea of um a geek. And a geek is like uh, it's it's this carnival attraction that's basically just a homeless drunk man who came back from the war and needs money, but like they just take advantage of him and like make him do carnival tricks and do stuff that is just like really degrading and then eventually throw him out when they're done with him. And like at the end of the movie, Bradley Cooper's character is offered a role as a geek for which is like a role that you only give to someone who is so down on their luck, they'll take anything and like, you know, you will just throw them out to the, out to the wolves as soon as they're no longer useful to you. Um, And at the end he takes that. And not only does he take that, he actually already knows what this role is. Usually you can take advantage of people and give them that role because they don't know what it is. He already knows what it is. And he's like ecstatic to do it. He's like, Oh yeah. Now, like I'm going to go into a role where I'm being taken advantage of. Sure. But it's safe. And I know like everything that's going to happen. And I've already been, I've already dealt with this. You know what? I never have to go back into the big mean world ever again. And so it's like, it's like kind of, it's a really, really hopeless character study of like Bradley Cooper's character. 
because like yes it is sort of a it is sort of a um a story of how like taking advantage of people is ultimately bad in the end but then like i guess the moral is kind of delivered when at the very end he's the one that gets taken advantage of but at the same time he's like so excited to be uh taken advantage of in actually one of the worst ways that's presented in this movie because it gives him like safety. Yeah. <laughs> he can trust in the fact that he knows he's been taken advantage of. And <laughs> that's a good point. I guess I didn't think of it that way. Yeah. But uh, I guess I, I, the, that theme was like a little too on the nose for me at the end, the whole, cause it was a little predictable um, and predictable is not necessarily bad because I think like it was a good way of ending the movie, but I wish it was like a little more subtle, maybe even though I guess that scene at the end, even though he's directly told like, you know, some ways I would have preferred a cut straight to like him ending up kind of in a fever dream as like the geek rather than like coming in being told that he is the geek now. But I mean, also Bradley Cooper's performance in that last scene was like really, really good. Um, also like in that last scene, I really like the, the way it was, the way it came across because very early into the movie, Willem Dafoe walks through exactly how you recruit a geek. (laughs) And then later on, Tim Blake Nelson basically just repeats his speech, but he's now recruiting a geek. So like, yes, it's predictable. And like, it's predictable down to the word. You can actually like, if you've been following along with the movie, you can probably like, recite tim blake nelson's part as he's saying it yeah but like um i really appreciated just that callback the way it was uh, the way that was done yeah that's fair yeah i don't know maybe if the the pacing was a little better that would have hit more anyways well do you this this movie recently was nominated for best picture i believe right yeah it was nominated for a couple of things but I wasn't nominated for a couple of things. It might've been only best picture. Uh, no, this movie was nominated a couple of times at the Oscars. So as we're recording this, this is actually the day after the Oscar nominations. And like, you know, we've been, we've been gearing all of these last couple of episodes towards Oscar contenders. So like, we're not going to just pass over the Oscar nominations. We got to talk about them. Uh, and this one nightmare alley was nominated for best production design, best cinematography, and best picture. My first question, before we go into talking a lot about more of the Oscars and the, the Academy Award nominations at large, is do you think that it was nominated, that it was rightly nominated in those things? And do you think it should have been nominated anywhere else? I mean, I was kind of surprised that it was nominated for best picture, but also looking at the lineup, I'm, I am less surprised. I'd, I'd actually say, I'd say this is more of like, I guess, a mid tier movie in uh in the running for the against everything else um but sorry i gotta check the the nomination i gotta open up the nominations again quickly but uh, do you want to go through what you thought of each of them um yeah and then and then we'll wrap up this by slapping a score on that baby because i completely forgot to say that we should do that at some point but hold on i think uh I think that it absolutely should have been nominated for the ones that it was nominated for, at least production design and cinematography. Uh, Cause like, yeah, obviously those are its two greatest things. The production design on this movie is awesome. It's such a beautiful movie to look at. And the cinematography too is like really, really good. Uh, oh, costume design as well. Yes, of course this was, this actually, um, there's one glaring omission in my opinion from costume design, but it is not Nightmare Alley. Uh, Nightmare Alley was had great costumes. I uh, definitely like, you know, maybe maybe next Halloween or the Halloween after, I would like to find out exact. I'd, I'd like to get like Bradley Cooper's mentalism suit and just like wear that. That'd be pretty cool. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I am a little surprised it was nominated for Best Picture because, as far as I'm concerned, I think it should have been up there because it's one of my personal favorites of the year. Uh, I'm surprised it was up for not for best picture though, because normally something that's up for best picture will do a little bit better in the other categories as well. And this one didn't. 
Yeah, I'm, um, I'm seeing now that it's only got that and best cinematography. Best picture, best cinematography, production design, and costume design. Oh, never mind. They did not show that on so Google. It's, oh, yeah, it's, it's not nothing, but like, you know, normally you'd have an actor in there as well if it's in a best picture. And like, for me, I really think that Bradley Cooper should have been in best actor because for me, he was the best actor of the year. But uh, nope, no such luck. And like, I wouldn't have hated seeing Kate Blanchett in Best Actress, especially considering the some of the performances that are in Best Actress that I do not think were very good. But um, you know, that's that's fine. Neither of them made it into the acting categories, which is sad. But it's, I mean, this movie didn't have this movie did not have much of a presence. So. Honestly, I'm very happy that it got anything that it did. Yeah, I could see it maybe winning. Actually, no, it's not. It's not going to win costume design. I take it back. <laughs> it could maybe win production really? design, but I, I just feel like I feel like Dune's going to sweep all the awards. This one could have potentially gotten, um, yeah. which is um, unfortunate. But it just this. I mean, I don't even like Dune, but I mean, like on a technical level, it's it's really really good. Not oh, going to yeah. lie. The time with Dennis Villeneuve, so Villeneuve, so Dennis Villeneuve. It's unsurprising on in that remark. But before we move on to talking about the rest of the Oscars, I want to just ask you really quick: if you had to put a number on Nightmare Alley, what would you say? Oh, I'd say probably like a six. Um, All right. Saw like kind of interesting. Just it's too long and it didn't really draw my attention that much. So for me, it's a very strong eight. Um, this may be like this. That actually may be a score that goes down next time I see it because I've now seen it twice and I've seen it in theaters both times. And in theaters, like I was gripped both times. I loved this just like every second of it. Uh, if I'm watching it at home, I think the pacing will probably make a lot more of a difference. Uh because I thought it was great. I thought it was paced fine. But um, if I'm watching that on my couch with all, of the, with all the other stuff that's in my apartment, that opinion may change. So it's a strong eight. Uh, but I got I to find, I got to see what, it, what I would say then the, the third time I see it. I so, probably won't watch this a third time. Have you even seen it a second time? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. I'm going to make a little note here. If, you, if you've been skipping through the episode to avoid spoilers, or if I have uh, been so kind as to offer you a little bit of a, a warning earlier that you can skip to this part to avoid spoilers, this is the part where, you can note where there's going to be no more spoilers for Nightmare Alley. Uh, as I'm recording, as we're recording this, this is at 45 minutes. It'll probably be a little bit earlier on the actual recording, or maybe like around there. So, there you go. No more spoilers at this point. Pierre, what did you think of the Oscars in general this year? I don't like it, Jeff. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> I have like I'm really disappointed. I've seen one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of these movies. Um, and I haven't really actually liked any of them. Like, truly loved any of them, if that makes sense. Like, a lot of them are, like, solid. They're kind of kind of interesting. But um, there's no... I'm missing my Sound of Metal and my Promising Young Women from last year. Which really um, made light lit me up and like made me excited about a movie. So I'm curious because just just to be clear, the ones that you haven't seen, I'm gonna guess because these are the ones we haven't done episodes on: King Richard, West Side Story, and uh, Drive My Car. Correct? Yes, and I am not excited okay. for any of those movies. Fair Except enough. For, actually, no. Drive My Car. From what I mean, you've talked about it. Um, I believe this is the first Japanese movie nominated for Best Picture. I believe so. Yeah. I, yeah. So I guess I, don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure. I am excited for that one, and I really hope that's cool. But other than that, no, I'm not excited for any. Well, I will tell you that uh, it's a three-hour-long movie, and I watched it twice. So, like, I loved this movie a lot. 
And I think I've already mentioned it. Like it was my favorite movie of last year. I'm very excited to get the chance to talk about it with you. Mm. Um, That'd be cool. But my next question was of the movies you have seen, which would you say is your favorite so far? Oh, geez. Oh, that's a tough question. I have have a guess of two that it would be. Ah. I would say it's probably Coda. Um, oh, really? Coda is okay. the only one here that like I actually don't really have any problems with. I just like wasn't wowed by it. Okay. Um, but honestly, like the most interesting one to me when I was watching it was uh, <laughs> was Licorice Pizza, and I don't like that movie. <laughs> I think it's a really weird movie, but like. Um, it's the only one that kind of drew me in. It's like it drew me in despite me really not wanting to like it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that speaks to the directing, uh, if anything else. But yeah, it's it's the it's probably the most memorable movie here for me. Um, even though I don't think it's a great movie, just because yeah. But I, I yeah, think the general vibes it gave off was very uh, was good. I don't know how that yeah. works. I mean, there's a lot wrong with licorice pizza, but like I've said this in the past, even, even, I mean, I didn't like licorice pizza either, but like you can't fault Paul Thomas Anderson as a director. He's incredible. He he does a great job with that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, the general vibe of it is, is very in, in luring that that's mm-hmm. maybe not the right word to use in, in the context of this movie, but uh, Yeah. But what would you say though? What, what were, wait, I'm curious. What were the two you thought I was I was most interested in? I thought that like since you had said you didn't really like any of these, I was kind of figuring that it was going to be for you either Belfast or Power of the Dog because uh, of the ones we've talked about, those are the ones that I remember you having the most positive reaction to. Not necessarily a positive reaction, just like the least negative to say. Oh, yeah, I'd say Belfast uh, is definitely up there. I really want uh, Sierra and Hines, or was, was Judy Dench nominated? I really hope she was. She was. I really hope. I, I am cheering for them to be to win those awards, uh, I believe, um, because I thought they were really good in those. But, yeah, I, every – but, like, in the movie itself, I wouldn't say really wowed me. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of in the same boat as Coda, but I, I guess I just like Coda more because of the um, general. I, it just felt like a little more exciting, and I like the the aim to bring forward um, deaf deaf actors and stuff. I thought that was like an interesting way to present a movie. So mm-hmm. yeah, I really want like I'm really surprised Tick Tick Boom isn't here. That that really confuses yeah. me because I definitely say that was probably my favorite movie of the year i mean favorite awards like potentially winning movie of the year um and i definitely say it's better than all of these movies like by a decent margin even though i wouldn't say like it was amazing or anything it it did really it was quite the it was quite the movie and it really should be up here well thankfully at least andrew garfield is in best actor yes so like and i really i'm I'm rooting for that yeah i mean i have to see denzel I have to see Denzel and Javier Javier act, but I really think he should win um, mm-hmm. because that that was I'm, an amazing uh, performance. I'm personally very sad that Lin Manuel Miranda isn't in Best Director because, like, straight up, I thought that Lin Manuel Miranda did an awesome job directing that. I think that may be a controversial opinion, but like, I don't care. Fight me. Come to my house. Beat me up. <laughs> so such bold words jeff uh yeah no i agree though i i think he like best direct i definitely say he did better than jane campion um and paul uh maybe not paul thomas but like i actually haven't seen steven spielberg either but i wouldn't say kenneth Branagh was necessarily needed to like i, I replaced kenneth Branagh with uh um lin-manuel miranda for sure um I think uh, I think Lin Manuel Miranda was a better director than Jane Campion. Might be the spiciest take you've said on this podcast for I a just, while. I didn't like Power of the Dog. I'm not gonna lie. I really, 
I could not get into it. And I don't know what that was. I'm surprised you said that was like one of the most positive movies I've talked about. Um, I don't remember. I mean, I remember both. I I don't remember you liking it that much either, but I remember you liking (laughs) Belfast. Like I think power and the dog you gave, like, I think power and the dog and Belfast, you both gave a seven to maybe you only gave a four to power of the dog. I don't remember. I think it was a four. I know I gave a seven to both of them. Mm. And I, and I thought that you had no, no, no. Power of the Dog was one that I remember now. You you didn't like it that much. You can appreciate a lot about it, but you didn't actually like it that much. Yeah, no, I definitely say I think I think I gave Coda a seven. I think I gave Belfast maybe a seven. Uh, I think that's it. Those are the two highest. Oh, I think Licorice Pizza gave maybe a six point five or a seven. Right. I don't know, but yeah. Also, Dune. I I don't know. I really respect Dune, but. It's kind of nominated in some, like, I think it definitely should be put in for Best Director. I definitely don't see it as a Best Picture movie, though, oddly enough. I definitely see it as, like, it kind of has to be there. Like, the big sci-fi movie is usually represented as Best Picture. And, like, straight yeah. up, Dune was, I, I think Dune, like, deserves to be one of the ten. I don't think it's going to win. But, like, you know... It's, it feels right being there. Even if it even if I didn't think it needed to be there, it just feels right, right. Yeah, that's fair. Oh, by the way, speaking of the big sci-fi movie, this is thinking a couple of years in advance, but uh no oh no, this is thinking one year in advance. So um here's how Avatar 2 can sweep the Oscars. So all it has to do so first off, Avatar 2 has to be really good. It has to be good enough to get a best picture nomination as well as a Best Director nomination, and get at least a couple of acting nominations for its leads. But here's the most important thing. If Avatar 2 is primarily, I think like 80% in the Na'vi language instead of English, which is a language that they have created fully for that for that series, they can do it. If it's primarily in Na'vi, and um, New Zealand submits it as their international film, it could get everything except for documentary and animated. That uh, that could be interesting. I'm not gonna lie. I am I really hopeful. James Cameron is the master of sequels, so I actually have complete faith in him. And Avatar Two is probably probably the most exciting movie for me this year. It's it's hard to say, but like I guess just from a pure like respect standpoint, like I might be more excited for movies like Doctor Strange, but, like, I know I feel like I'm going to get let down. Whereas Avatar 2, I'm, like, I'm very hopeful for. Mm-hmm. And I well, I mean, because, like, awesome. Avatar 2, at this point, I don't even really know what to expect. So I'm not really going in with expectations. And, like, if it's, you know, I'm hoping to be blown away. So maybe that is expectations, actually. Yeah. But, like... <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't know about your, like... <laughs> I don't... I never... If Sam Worthington is ever nominated for an Academy Award, I think I would quit watching movies because <laughs> James Cameron would have to, like, I know he's an amazing director. I don't know if he can do anything, but Sam Worthington's also, like, quite the tenacious, uh, stubborn actor in that he doesn't like to express emotions when he acts. So <laughs> I think James Cameron oh. might have met his match in this one. Yeah, I guess we'll see. I haven't seen him in very much. Oh, well. Oh, um, well. Yeah, any other big surprises you thought in the nominations? I don't think so. I mean, to be honest, just like everything really surprised me when I saw when I saw it. But like, I feel like a lot of the usual suspects of here. I, I want to say I was really surprised to see Don't Look Up was here. But I, I feel like a part of it was just, it's just, it feels extremely Oscar baity now that I think about it. Um, yeah. And it's, I feel like it was just impossible for the Academy to ignore. Like they couldn't, they physically could not. Mm-hmm. If it wins anything though, I'm going to be like a little upset. I'm not going to lie. I mean, yeah, I think don't look up is don't look up. Isn't in any, it, it's not nominated for anything where it's actually the best. Which I guess is kind of obvious because "Don't Look Up" isn't the best. I can't in anything. I can't think of anything it was like, like necessarily good at. But like best original screenplay, it's up against worst person in the world, which is 
I mean, I don't know how worst person in the world can lose, except that it probably will because it's a Norwegian movie. Mm. Unfortunate. Yeah. Um, um, yeah no. I was very pleasantly surprised by Lunana, a yak in the classroom, being in uh, being nominated for best international feature, and uh, as long as Drive My Car wins best picture. I would like very much for Lunana, a yak in the classroom to win best international feature, because that is probably the most wholesome movie in this entire grouping. Like it's, it's just such a nice, it's such a nice movie. And like, it's, I just thoroughly enjoyed every part of it. It's just like, it's really, it's really low stakes. It's really fun. It's a good movie. And like, there's not a lot of movies that like are at this level that aren't at least kind of depressing. And Lunana is not. It's not one of them. I, uh, I cannot say the same because I have not seen it. Best documentary short subject, When We Were Bullies, which is one of the most offensive movies I've maybe ever seen, was nominated. Uh, it's about this kid. It's about this guy who, when he was a, when he was a kid, him and his entire class bullied a child. Uh, so like his other child in their, in their class. And so 50 years later, he made a documentary about it and excluded the guy that they bullied. Wow. He's just like, I'm going to ask everybody in the class how this made them feel. (laughs) Just not the guy that we bullied. That's, that's not something that you were not interested in. that. Uh, That's kind of funny actually. (laughs) It's, it's funny. Like watching that movie, watching that movie, it's like, it's crazy how like, how he could go through making this entire movie and not realize that what he's doing is bullying this kid again. Yeah. (laughs) It's like so obvious too. It's a little uh, ironic, Uh, I guess. Yeah. I think that was the last one I wanted to specifically talk about. Well, I'm sure we'll have many more things to say once we actually watch all the movies. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, um, which, I guess, next week we're talking about... Is it West Side Story, I'm pretty sure? Yeah, let's talk about West Side Story next week. Yeah. And then, choice. you know, as always, we'll probably we'll probably record, like, the night of the Oscars, and I'm sure nothing good will happen, and I'll just be sitting here mostly in silence trying not to lose my mind while we cope with whatever happened if i can in any way avoid it i i would like to not watch the oscars this year but i feel like due to the podcast i must at least watch some clips i mean well i'll I'll say right now i I will definitely like i'm not gonna hold us to anything so if you you know we we don't we there's there's no pressure for us to absolutely have to watch the oscars i will anyway though last year was really rough Last it was, year was really so bad. It was, and I don't see it getting any better. There's it's probably going to be some well, kind of TikTok. They're going to do like a TikTok thing or something too. Well, they've got they've got a host this year at least. Oh, who's so. the host? No idea. Oh, they've just announced that they will have one. I'm sure it's. I don't be think great. they actually have one yet. But maybe like, if it's one. Ricky Gervais, I'll probably watch. Oh God, he's hosted so many things. They don't need him anymore. Yeah, but he's the only one. He, he's the only one that. Well, okay, I hate because I feel like he's overly praised for calling Hollywood out. Because like, also like, like he's uh, not he's well, part of Hollywood too, and I feel like it's like very. Well, him and... Sorry, go oh, ahead. sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying that. I, I think a lot of people love like, oh my god, Ricky Gervais has like the balls to stand up to Hollywood and call, call the corporations out. And it's like the corporations are paying him. They're doing exactly what they, they're trying to be relatable and they're hiring a guy that'll make fun of them to uh, make themselves feel better and ideally make them more relatable. If that makes sense. But yeah, I I don't really see any hosts like uh, being genuine. um, It's like, no, all, all I want is for a host. Like you need a host that's going to put on a good show. Is it? It doesn't need to be a host that calls out Hollywood because that's hypocritical. Like, sure, it's fun. It is funny when Ricky Gervais does it, but like at the end of the day, he's getting paid by them. Like, it's not. <laughs> yeah. 
he's yeah, as you said, he's doing exactly what they want him to do. It's not like he's doing he's anything. He's not taking special. down the system or anything. No. It's, it's just he's They knew what he was going to say. Those things. I'm pretty sure everything he set up there was like approved, pre-approved by by Hollywood. I mean, at least implicitly. Like, I think he's he might he might, he probably improved. I'm sure he improvs a lot. So like. They don't. They. I'm sure they don't get a script from him that has to be pre-approved. But like yeah. when you hire Ricky Gervais, they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah, they do. They're not hiring him because they're gonna make because he's gonna make the Golden Globes look like a stand-up organization. Yeah. They're hiring him because he's gonna make the Golden Globes look that much more relatable. Yeah. Okay. Well, I take it's it back. Like, I will only watch the Oscars if Tommy Wiseau is hosting. Other than that, I don't see me watching them. <laughs> if I can help. So. We may have an Oscars episode this year. Maybe what will happen is, like, I'll watch the Oscars and I'll ask you to, like, I don't know, go swimming. And then we can talk about our different experiences. I'll talk about swimming. <laughs> Just go through all the Oscars. Yeah, that'd be cool. All right. Uh, Pierre, what's the last word before we move on to West Side Story? Swimming.